All right, we're in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 48. Luke 19, 28 to 48. It's just after Jesus been telling a parable. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd with disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it, because all the people hung on his words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, uh, Julie, for reading so clearly for us. Um, I thought I'd do something a little bit risky to uh, to start us off today. Um, got a kind of you know topical sort of risky uh, illustration for us. Um, get ready. Here we go. I thought I'd talk about this guy. Here we go. Novak Djokovic. Uh, I assume we all kind of know and we're following what happened over the last few weeks. Now, uh, I'm not going to talk about lots of things, okay? So I'm not going to talk about uh, who was in the right or who was in the wrong. I don't want to talk about um, all the vaccines and the controversial stuff uh, this morning. But um, I just wanted to observe one thing. I, um, I just want to go back a few months, back sort of, you know, to late last year before everything sort of blew up. Um, here's the thing. Even, even a few months ago, we knew kind of that Novak Djokovic was uh, not going to get vaccinated. Um, we knew that Australia was only going to allow people in who had uh, vaccines. 
so it was kind of it was in the background there. But at the same time, Novak was uh, he was back in Serbia. Yeah, he's a long way away. He was all the, right over the other side of the world. So uh, there wasn't much fuss about it. I, I remember reading maybe one or two news articles that are, you know, what's going to happen? Um, is Novak going to be able to play? But really, we didn't really care that much. You know, Novak was a long way away. Uh, we didn't have to deal with it. Uh, no one was really talking about it. No one really cared or, you know, had to make decisions about it. But then uh, what happened on January 5th uh, was that Novak kind of suddenly showed up in Australia. I don't know if you remember seeing the news. Hang on, Novak's turned up. Uh, he's here. He's on our doorstep. He's in Melbourne. He's in immigration. I think he had sort of a middle of the night, sort of big controversial sort of little quick hearing. And, and suddenly the news was just everywhere, wasn't it? Every paper was on the front page. Every, uh, every news website, it was all, all anyone was talking about. There were you know, live blogs on some of his trials. There were opinion pieces. Uh, I don't know about you, every time I saw family and friends for a few days, um, uh, everyone had an opinion. You know, I can, I can tell you what my dad thought about Novak Djokovic. I can tell you what my sister-in-law thought about it. I can tell you what my brother thought about it. Uh, and that's because they all told me. I didn't ask. They just, um, they just come out and told me, this is what I think about it. Um, everyone wanted to have their say, have an opinion. And so what happened is um, we went from Novak being... Kind of, you know, on the other side of the world, no one really cares that much. So suddenly, everyone has an opinion on what we should do. And the reason why everything suddenly changed was that Novak went from being out there on the other side of the world to suddenly he was here on our doorstep. Suddenly, we had to confront this situation and actually had to make a decision about what we were going to do. All right. Go away, Novak. Thanks. Quick as the Australian government. Uh, The reason to talk about Novak is I think... Something similar is going on in our Bible passage today in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has been around for a while. He's been doing ministry. He's been doing miracles kind of around the countryside. He's been in the little towns and the little villages. Uh, But if you're in Jerusalem, you're in this big cultural center of the country. You don't really care too much about what's happening out in the sticks, out in the the regional areas. Uh, Jesus has been out in the countryside. He's he's got a bit of a following. Uh, There's probably been a few articles about it in the local paper, that sort of thing. But it's at a distance, you know, you don't, you don't really have to care. But now, all of that's about to change. Because Jesus is about to show up. He's finally finished journeying all around. He's finally come to Jerusalem. He's here. He's right on our doorstep. There's no more pretenses. He's here. Now he needs to be confronted. A little bit like Novak, we have to now make a decision, one way or another, about what we're going to do with this guy. Uh, the people of Jerusalem that had Jesus at, at a distance, maybe some of them would have preferred it if he just stayed in the regional areas, but don't have to deal with him. But he's here, he's in the city. The king's come to be among us. It's time to work out what we think of him. And today I want to ask, to ask a similar question. Do we, perhaps in some ways, do we keep, do we prefer to keep Jesus at a distance? Do we maybe know bits about him and, and like some of the things he said? But really we would... Uh, we wouldn't really say either way if we're on his side or not. We don't really want to have to make a decision. Maybe we know quite a bit about him, but we only let kind of parts of, uh, we only let him into kind of parts of our lives, you know, but not others. Maybe we like Jesus, we follow Jesus, but uh, if we just keep him that little bit further away, we don't have to work out what he would think about, you know, this part of my life or or that part of my life. Well, today, uh, and really through this whole series that we're going to be doing this term as we look at the week that Jesus spent in Jerusalem. What I want us to ask is what would, I, what would it look like for us to really confront who Jesus is? 
And confront's kind of a provocative word, isn't it? But look for, like, for us to really look at this guy who really walked the earth 2,000 years ago, really look at Jesus up close and ask, wow, is this Jesus who he, who he said he was? Is, is he illegitimate? And if he was, what am I going to do about it? What would it look like if we did that really let Jesus come close? Uh, today our story starts, as we had read out, it starts with Jesus arriving in Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. It's tense, it's confrontational. I've got three points for us as we look at what happened together as Jesus arrives in the city. I'll put them on the screen. As always, these points are on the Sunday Hub as well if you'd like to follow along. Uh, The first two will kind of take us through the passage. Uh, We'll look at the king announced. Here comes Jesus into the city. Uh, The second point, everyone's got an opinion. We'll look at how some different people reacted to Jesus when finally he showed up. Uh, And then our last point, three questions for us. We'll ask kind of why this is relevant for us and what we might think about in response. The king announced, everyone's got an opinion, three questions for us to ask. Uh, Our first point there, then let's let's take a look at the passage together. There's quite a bit to actually unpack in this passage. The big thing I think we need to notice here is that uh, we're talking about confronting Jesus. Well, really, Jesus, the way he shows up to Jerusalem, he really does come to the city in a very confrontational kind of way. Uh, he really comes and he puts it all on the table and he, he's almost asking to be confronted. Let me, let me show you um, why I think that's true. Um, take even this first bit with the, with the donkey. Um, no, no, no more donkey sound effects. Um, look at this, it starts, After Jesus has said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Now, this is a weird little story, isn't it? Do you think? A weird little story, isn't it? Um, There are lots of good questions we might like to ask, like... um, you know, Jesus has walked all over the countryside. Why does he suddenly need a donkey? Surely he could have just walked the last bit of the way. And even if he did need a donkey, surely he could have just gone and um, asked for one himself. But instead, he kind of seems to find this supernatural knowledge and be able to sort of send these two people out to where, um, where he knows they'll find one. And he tells them exactly what to say when, um, when people try and stop them. And also, it's kind of odd that he particularly chooses this, um, this colt, which is a, a young donkey, uh, a donkey that's never been ridden. And you might ask, you know, why does he choose that donkey? Um, and if you know anything about donkeys, you know, a donkey that's never been ridden probably actually needs to be trained before uh, you go and ride it. So he's kind of not making things easy for himself. Um, and and uh, I'll share something about myself. I actually grew up with a donkey, um, and donkeys don't actually like being ridden that much. They're, um, they're kind of difficult. They're kind of difficult animals. Um, we used to ride our donkey when we were kids, but um, as we got a bit older and a bit heavier, the donkey really didn't like to be ridden. I remember one time I was, I was, I was starting to get a little bit older. I, I went onto the donkey to have a ride, and uh, the donkey just took off straight for a tree branch about this high, so he could just shoot under and try and clothes hanging me off the back, which um, sort of, you know, did some sort of dismount like that. I'm sure it was very graceful. Um, <laughs> But, you know, just jumping on the back of a one-year-old donkey uh, that's never been ridden is no small thing. You know, you, the donkey's not necessarily going to like that. So it's just weird. Uh, what, what's going on? Uh, well, actually, Jesus is being very deliberate, and actually he's showing us things about himself and who he is. All right, so what's he showing us? He's showing us that he's sovereign, he's in control. You know, he knows where the donkey is. He knows what's going to happen when the people get there to try and get the donkey. Um, he's powerful. 
We've seen that all through the stories, story of Jesus. Nature submits to Jesus in all sorts of ways. You know, you might remember the story of the calming of the storm, um, even the wind and the waves submitting to Jesus. So, of course, a young donkey is going to happily carry Jesus. The donkey knows who Jesus is. Jesus is showing us that he's sovereign, he's in control, he's showing us that he's the king. And he's showing the people of Jerusalem that he's the king as well. And that's true because of just what we've said, but it's also true because of another layer that's behind all of this. Uh, the people of Jerusalem, they would know the Old Testament well. They would know the Old Testament part of the Bible. And they would know about a prophecy uh, that you can find in the book of Zechariah. Let's, um, let's, let's just go there now. I'm going to put it on the screen. It's Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, this is a prophecy that the people of Jerusalem would know very well. Uh, it's just a couple of verses. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on, the, on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Uh, if we read the next verse as well. I'll take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. Uh, the people of Jerusalem knew this prophecy well. They knew what it meant when this king came on a young donkey and they knew what this king was going to do a king is going to come he's going to bring peace he's going to get rid of the chariots the enemies the armies there's not going to be any need for weapons anymore and how will you spot this king when he comes he's going to be on a donkey he's going to be on the colt a foal of a donkey so by choosing to enter jerusalem on a young donkey jesus would have known this prophecy too by choosing to enter Jerusalem on a young donkey, Jesus is being very clear. He's saying, this is who I am. I am this promised king. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. And I'm the fulfillment of these words. Now, you can see what I mean when I say he's asking to be confronted, isn't he? Now, for, a lot, for a lot of his ministry, actually, Jesus, his attitude is quite different. He's trying to keep people calm. He tries to kind of keep a lid on things. You might remember a few places in the Bible when Jesus says, oh, you've been healed, don't go and tell anyone, kind of keep it under wraps. You know, he's been a bit like um, uh, that footy player who's made it into the finals. You know what they always say? They always say, you know, we're going to take it one day at a time, one game at a time. We're not getting carried away. We're not trying to let uh, there be too much hype. Well, now Jesus is much more like the heavyweight boxer at a, at a weigh-in. I'm the king. I'm the promised one. Here I am. Come to claim my crown. There's no more pretenses. Jesus comes along and he's ready to be confronted. And it's uh, no surprise then that point number two, everyone's got an opinion. Jesus has come. He's been very provocative, confrontational. And well, very quickly, the whole city is in a spin. Let's, um, let's pick it up at verse 35. They've just uh, found the donkey. This is what happens. They, uh, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, put Jesus on it. And as he went around, people, people spread their cloaks on the road. Um, you can imagine this would be quite the sight, wouldn't it? Quite the procession. Jesus coming in on the donkey, people throwing their cloaks on the road in front of him. People are excited. The, the people know the Zechariah prophecy. So that, uh, make no mistake, that would be right in their minds. These people are thinking, this is it. This is the king. And they're on his side. They're thinking that Jesus is who he's claiming to be. So they're celebrating. They're putting, on, putting their cloaks out on the road. But they're not the only people with opinions, are they? If we keep going to verse 37, 
when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace, and glory, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Again, just notice, you know, that everyone knows exactly what's going on here. The, the, the Pharisees know what Jesus is claiming. They know what Jesus is doing. They know what the disciples are crying out. They know that Jesus is claiming to be a new king. And, and what's their opinion? Well, that's not appropriate. You can't go around claiming to be the new king, Jesus. It's a dangerous thing to say. The Romans won't like that. Tell your disciples that they're wrong, Jesus. Put a stop to this. But Jesus' reply is very telling. This is not a misunderstanding. This is not Jesus just being arrogant or crazy. This is the truth, Jesus says. And as Jesus said, if the disciples weren't saying the truth, well, the stones would be. This is the king. You can straight away see lots of these opinions, can't you? There are the ones in the crowd that think Jesus is legitimate. They're putting out their cloaks and they're cheering. There's the Pharisees who stop Jesus and tell him to take it all back. No doubt, I'm sure there would be lots in the crowd that would be somewhere in between. That, that, that must be true, right? You know, I bet there are some that are saying, well, you know, I liked all Jesus' miracles, but I'm not sure about him being a new king. Maybe that's a bit much. You know, I bet there are some who are sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder if he realizes how dangerous, dangerous it is to go around claiming that you're a new king, particularly when the Romans are around. I bet there are some who are thinking, oh, I reckon this guy might be a con artist or something, you know, fooling people. I bet there are some who just wish Jesus would have kept to the regional areas, didn't come to the city, so they had to make a decision, just kept his distance. And um, overall, certainly the mood is positive, isn't it? The crowds are cheering, there are some dissenters, but yet we know that very quickly things are going to change, don't we? The crowds are cheering on Sunday, but by Friday they're going to be shouting for Jesus to be crucified. Uh, Through this term, we're going to go through this week of Jesus' life. We're going to see the mood change, we're going to see the tension grow. Probably some of these people over that time start to change their minds. Maybe at first they thought, this could be legitimate, and then over time they, uh, they've changed their mind. And, and we know, don't we, that it doesn't take too much for sort of that mob mentality to suddenly, suddenly turn around. You know, the crowd gets stirred up a little bit and people suddenly don't want to go against the majority, and so very quickly the mood is changed and now everyone's negative. We know by the end of it, even the disciples, even Peter, is too afraid to stand up for Jesus because the majority of the crowd are all asking for him to be crucified. And I wonder if you've ever wondered, you know, why were the crowds so excited, so positive on Palm Sunday and then only four or five days later they're wanting him dead? Have you ever wondered that, why it changes so fast? Well, there's one really good hint as to the answer of that question in our passage today and, uh, about what causes this shift, why they're so happy at the start and why they so quickly change their minds. And it's a little bit complicated, so let me just try and uh, explain it to you. The, the hint is that Jesus knows right from the start that the people have misplaced expectations of him. Jesus knows that people are putting their expectations in the wrong place. Um, We see this in verse 41 in this little section here. Jesus knows that people are putting their expectations in the wrong place. Um, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, "If, If only, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. 
Now, this is very interesting, a little couple of verses. Um, if only you knew, if only you knew what would bring you peace. And um, uh, peace, peace is very much a big theme of what's going on here. It's, um, uh, remember Zechariah, the prophecy of the king coming on the cults. Um, what does the prophecy say? This king's going to come and the king is going to bring peace. The king's going to bring peace. Remember, they're not going to be weapons anymore. The enemies are going to be destroyed. I think there weren't going to be any more chariots from, from Egypt or something like that anymore. Um, and so the people are very excited about this. They're excited about this idea of peace, particularly because they're being occupied at the moment by a foreign army. They're, Israel's occupied by the Romans and, and the people are expecting Jesus to come along and get rid of the enemies, to lead them to victory, to throw off the oppressors and bring peace and independence. So the people from the prophecy, they're expecting peace. And Jesus is offering peace. But what's the problem? Jesus says, if only you knew. If only you knew. Jesus knows that Jerusalem isn't going to find the sort of peace that they want. He knows that it won't be long and the city's going to be destroyed. You, um, you see that in the next couple of verses. The, the days will come upon you when your enemies will encircle you, dash you to the ground. Jerusalem's not going to have this military sort of peace that the people are after. Jesus predicts that the city's going to get surrounded and going to fall. And, and 40 years later, that's exactly what, ha- what happens. Jerusalem is besieged by the Romans and destroyed. And here's where the misplaced expectation is. You know, Jesus says, I, I'm not here to offer the peace that you want. But if only you knew the peace that I am here to offer. A peace that is far more important than peace with the Romans. We know what Jesus came to offer, didn't we? Don't we? He came to offer peace with God. To pay the debt that God justly has against humanity. Humanity which has failed to live God's way again and again and again. Jesus came to bring peace. To bring humanity back into relationship with God. To bring the blessings of eternal life and life with God. That's so much more important than winning the battles. That's not what the people were after. Jesus said, if only you knew. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, everyone had an opinion about him. Is he the king? Is he a fraud? Is he legitimate? Is he a liar? Is he a good guy? Is he a nutcase? Everyone has opinions. But no one, no one really knew what he was there to do. He came to Jerusalem to die. He came to Jerusalem to die, to bring what we need most. Even if we don't know we need it, he came to die and bring peace with God. Well, let's try and bring it home a little bit then. The king announced, everyone's got an opinion. Three questions for us to ask. Um, We'll put these on the screen. The first one, I think one question we can ask ourselves out of what we've looked at today is, uh, will will we let Jesus get close up? When we look at Jesus close up, I've, um, I've said this morning that I think lots of times the relationship we have with Jesus can be a bit more like uh, Australia and Novak Djokovic, you know, he's still over the other side of the world. We know he's over there. There's lots of distance, you know, we don't really have to think about him too much. And, and the thing about Jesus is when he's over there, when there's that distance, it's easy to have different opinions about him, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, you can have positive opinions, negative opinions. You might say, oh, I love that guy. Or, you know, oh, I really just don't, don't like what he had to say. Or I don't think he's relevant. I, I don't want to pay him any attention. 
And a lot of us, though, have sort of a, a vague sort of positivity about him, probably, you know, probably like how the people of Jerusalem felt before he actually showed up, right? You know, like, this guy's been going around the countryside doing miracles. That's pretty cool. You know, good on him. Um, but then he comes to the city and he says, I'm the king. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I have the peace that you need. And that's still the message of Jesus today. He's not a, he's not a spiritual guru. He's not someone who can offer a few bits of good advice and then be on your way. His claim, the claim that he makes very clearly, is that he's the king. And his claim is that he offers the peace that we need. And if we look closely at him, if we confront who he really is and what he really said, then that claim, I think, demands a decision. Do we think he's who he claims to be? Do we think he's a dangerous lunatic? But I think the only way you can just keep that vague positivity, don't really have to decide, feeling about Jesus is if you keep him at a distance. So will we let Jesus get close up? There are lots of ways um, we could apply this, I think, practically. We could talk about our personal devotions. We could um, encourage each other to read closely the accounts of Jesus' life, um, catch up with a friend and read through, the, through one of the Gospels. I thought what I'd do is um, just say a couple of things about how we try and apply this here at church. Uh, the thing that we're on about above anything else is we want to look closely at who Jesus is. We want to study and get to know this real Jesus. And it's particularly what we're going to do this series. As he comes into Jerusalem and as he confronts the people of Jerusalem, we're going to let ourselves be confronted as well. But it's also just what we're on about here at Trinity generally. You know, we, we do lots of great things here. We, you know, we try and have great music. We, we try and be welcoming. We try and be friendly. We, we try and run kind of efficiently and effectively. Um, good systems in place. We try and be engaging and relevant so that, you know, people will come and listen and give us a hearing and we uh, enjoy being together in fellowship. But the, the problem is you, you can enjoy all that sort of stuff while still keeping Jesus off to the side at a distance. You know, we could be the most efficient, effective organization. You know, we could be great at getting people involved, great at attracting people in. But if we're not looking closely at Jesus, looking at who he was, what he said, what he claimed, carefully reading his word, getting to know him, if we're not dealing with Jesus, this guy who really walked the earth a couple of thousand years ago, if we're not looking at him, working out what we think of him, well, then we're not even really a church, are we? We're a bunch of people just hanging out together, maybe at best an efficient running organization or some sort of social club. That's the first question. The second one, will we let Jesus get close up? Will we let Jesus set the agenda? Uh, the thing about letting Jesus come close is that when you let Jesus come close, you also get to see what he's on about. You know, remember the, the problem for the people of Jerusalem was that they were happy for Jesus to come, but they wanted something different. They, they didn't want what he had to offer. They wanted the king that was going to come and kick the Romans out, bring peace by winning a war sort of king. But they went wrong because they totally missed what Jesus was offering. I think it's why they ended up getting angry at him and killing him because he wasn't what they were after. And I think we could, in some ways, make similar mistakes. You know, we could want Jesus to give us a great life, maybe give us a great job, a peaceful place to live, nice families. We can focus so much on those things that we really just push to the side what Jesus has to offer. But when we let Jesus get close and see what he was really on about, we see that what he was on about was peace with God, 
peace with the one who made the universe, a chance to be part of his eternal kingdom that's going to last forever. That's why Jesus came, to give that, that to us. And it's not that Jesus doesn't care about our jobs or our families or our security and it's not that those things aren't great things to pray about or, or ask Jesus for and Jesus gives graciously to lots of us those things. But we don't follow Jesus because he's going to give us a better life. We follow Jesus because he's going to give us a better eternity. You know, in our passage when Jesus cried, uh, he cried because the city was going to be destroyed. But it seems to me, actually, the reason he cries is, you know, I think the city was going to be destroyed either way. Jesus was never coming to kick the Romans out. What really upset Jesus was that the people were going to die, the city was going to be destroyed, and they weren't going to listen to his offer of peace with God. Because if you found peace with God, well, it doesn't really matter so much if um, your city gets destroyed, does it? If your life ends, you've got eternity with Jesus to look forward to. And if you know that peace, that you have peace with God, well, praise God and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take risks. We've got peace with God. Even if our city was to get destroyed, where our relationship with God will last forever, we can be confident that we're safe with him. And so we, we don't need to worry so much about the other stuff. We, we can face things. We can face things like a pandemic. Obviously, we have to be very careful about the pandemic and there's, um, it's just loving to other people to follow the restrictions and um, it's, it's, there's lots of good reasons to be cautious and sensible, but we don't have to be fearful. You know, and we can face life's other hardships. We can face fears like knocking on our neighbor's door and asking what they think of Jesus or inviting someone to church or inviting someone just to come along to our beach picnic in a few weeks to get to know a few people from church. You know, we, we have peace with God. We don't need to be afraid of these things. We can, we can take risks. We've got nothing to lose. Third question, if you, um, particularly if you answer yes to those first two, you know, yes, I, I want to let Jesus get close up. Yes, I want to... Let Jesus set the agenda. Well, I think my third question is, will we stick with Jesus? One thing that struck me as I was looking at this, um, this passage this week, just, just the whole week, actually, that we're looking at this term, you know, the whole, on Sunday, Jesus came in and the crowds were cheering and by Friday, uh, the crowds were yelling for his death. It's amazing how fast things change. Uh, and what struck me, uh, as I said, I'm sure not everyone in the crowd thought the same. I'm sure there were all sorts of different opinions. Um, we saw today on Sunday, most people were cheering, but some weren't convinced. I'm sure on the Friday, it was the same. I'm sure lots of people didn't actually want to see Jesus crucified, but it's hard to speak against the crowd, isn't it? And uh, this is what struck me this week. You know, in Australia, 30 years ago, I'd say it was more like Palm Sunday. Um, people were happy with Jesus. They liked him. If you just wanted to be one of the crowd, then it was, it was fine to be kind of positive about Jesus. You know, plenty of people kept Jesus at a distance, but... You know, if you were cheering for Jesus, you were just one of the crowd. Well, it's certainly not the same, is it? The world's changed pretty quickly now. Um, now the world's much more like Good Friday, I think. If you're a follower of Jesus, suddenly you're the one speaking out. Suddenly you're the bad guy. You're the outlier. You're the one speaking against the crowd. And that's, that's hard, I think. We, we do have to say that's hard. It's much harder now to stand up in a crowd and say that you love Jesus. And it can cost you things. It can cost you respect or positions or, you know, all sorts of things, but... Here's what I want to say. If we know Jesus, and if we know Jesus well, if we let him come up close, if we know what he offers, peace with God, then we can have the strength to stick with him, can't we? Even when it's hard, we can keep speaking up because we know what Jesus offers. We know that he is who he says he is. And I'm going to pray now and ask for God's help as we try and do that.
I do hope you'll keep coming back and joining us through this series as we make our way through this week, see what Jesus does in Jerusalem, the sort of things that he talks about with the people from Jerusalem, and as we confront who he really is as well. Uh, Let me pray. Our dear Father God, we come to you today in the name of Jesus, and we ask today that you would help us to see him, see him clearly, confront who he really was. We know, Father, that lots of us, to, to varying degrees, have been keeping Jesus at a distance. You know, maybe even just over summer, some of us have just pushed him to the side a little bit of, as we've enjoyed summer holidays. Maybe we'd prefer not to have to deal with him now, so we just we found it easier that way. We thank you that Jesus came to Jerusalem. Well, we pray that as we look at this week that Jesus spent in Jerusalem, that we would really see the real Jesus and really be confronted by who he really is. Most of all, Father, we thank you for why Jesus came to Jerusalem. We thank you that he came to die, to die and bring peace with you. And we thank you that in Jesus we are saved. We pray that we would trust in him. And we pray in his name. Amen.